to me, the thing that has driven my desire and, and Dana's desire to homeschool has always been a discipleship drive. I think academics are important. As you know, I went to school forever, so I do value that. However, um, you know, none of that really matters if your children don't know the Lord, if they don't have their hearts surrendered to Christ. And so what a wonderful setup, you know, where you can invest in time and relationships. My family started our homeschooling journey. There were so many decisions to make, but one of our best decisions was choosing to use BJU Press Homeschool. I've never seen my kids so excited to get textbooks before. I'm amazed by how interesting and interactive the lessons are. My kids actually look forward to them. We use the online video lessons for all our courses, but I know some families choose to teach from the textbooks. What I love is that I can trust BJU Press to uphold our values. The Bible and biblical principles are woven throughout each subject. I'll admit, I was a bit nervous when I started homeschooling, but I've found a wonderful online community of other BJU Press homeschool families and consultants. The Homeschool Hub also makes my job easier. I can set up our schedules and rearrange them with just a few clicks. On the dashboard, I can see each of my kids' progress, and the assignments page shows me quickly what's ready for me to check or grade. I'm glad my son's biology assignments are automatically graded. BJU Press Homeschool has given us the tools and confidence to homeschool our children. For more information, do what I did and visit the BJU Press Homeschool website or talk with your local HomeWorks consultant. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Zan Tyler podcast, where our goal is to help you thrive on your homeschooling journey. Let me take just a minute to ask you to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. And if this podcast has been encouraging to you, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Each review really helps us. We're available now on YouTube and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. It's back to school time for many of you. And our guest this week has plenty of homeschooling help and encouragement for this new school year. Matthew McDill and his wife, Dana, homeschool their nine children in Clemens, North Carolina. That's right, nine. And they um, they have a wonderful family. We were just talking, two of their kids are married, two are in college, so I guess that leaves five at home. Uh, Matthew is the executive director of NCHE, which is North Carolinians for Home Education. Uh, and he was president of the board before he was the executive director. That will become important in our conversation as we go on. He has a ministry, Truth to Freedom, where he teaches on discipleship, marriage, family, parenting, home education, and church. So you can see that family life and loving God is really his passion. He is the author of a book, Loving God, a Practical Handbook for Discipleship. And we're going to discuss some of the principles in that later that will help us in our homeschooling as we go on. And the things you don't know about your friends, I had no idea that Matthew has two master's degree and a doctorate degree. So we have, he's got a wealth of knowledge that we're going to be able to pull from today. Matthew, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Zan, thanks for, for having me. It's exciting. Glad to talk to you. Well, this is so good. Hey, listen, tell us how you and Dana came to homeschool or why you start, started homeschool. Just your homeschool story. 
Yeah, well, we met in college at Appalachian State University and in the same Sunday school class where we had um, our Sunday school class teacher um, homeschooled his kids. And so we would go to his house for Bible study. And then sometimes we would hang around long enough that they would say, hey, hang around for family worship and stuff. And so we were able to watch their family in action. And of course, just as the normal story, you see the fruit, you know, you see what the family relationships are like. You see the fruit in the children. Um, I had some other previous experience a little bit with homeschooling or at least heard of it. Uh, Dana had not, but that was the time in college that we saw it and pretty, pretty got, got hooked. And then there were some other families we met after we got married who homeschooled that also just made a big difference in our lives. So what year would that have been when y'all were in college, Matthew? I graduated in 96. She did in 95. So we're talking, you know, 93, probably. Or So homeschooling was becoming more of a thing then. It is. I just, I think that's so powerful that before you got married, you were able to see families function in that way. Mm-hmm. When Joe and I were engaged, we were reading all kinds of family life books and, you know, really wanting our, our marriage and our home to mirror Christ. And and but of course homeschooling was not a blip on the radar then and so when we started homeschooling we didn't know anybody and so there was there was nobody to turn to you guys had to make it up (laughs) (laughs) yes and sometimes we did fine and sometimes we didn't (laughs) so it was always nice to have that um that example that you had and now i know in turn that you have turned around and been that example so did you know at the time that you wanted a big family well, we always said we would have at least four kids. So my my family, there are four siblings, and her family, there are five. And so we knew we weren't going to have one or two, but we definitely didn't plan on nine. <laughs> we, have, we just had one at a time, and each time just prayed and assessed where we are as a family and our ministry and what was going on. And so that's where we ended up with nine. <laughs> so what is the age span between the oldest and the youngest? Our oldest is 24 and our youngest is 10. So 14 years. So really, that's not a big age span when you consider you got seven children in between those two. (laughs) That's right. It's just pretty much every couple of years. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's really fun. So so you knew probably from the beginning then that y'all were going to homeschool. Yeah, when even even as we met and talked, Dan and I were were already already committed to that. Interestingly, Dana was a public school math teacher. She was in in school for math and then she went and taught for for four years before we started having kids. But that was really never a question for us. Um, And actually her time teaching school only reinforced her desire to homeschool. That that is so interesting. So what year did y'all start homeschooling? Do you remember? Well, our first was born in 99. So I guess that's the first answer, right? Yes. Um, so when our oldest Bethany turned, uh, you know, around five or so, and we thought, it well, it's preschool time or kindergarten time, we went to the Thrive Homeschool Conference in, in North Carolina. And that was our first introduction to NCHE and to the whole world of homeschooling. And uh, we've, we've never missed a conference since then. So 
it's been uh, a long journey. That was that was the entry point, but that's when we officially thought, well, you know, we're buying books and deciding on curriculum and such. Yeah, yeah, boy, that's a great conference. I can remember when we were having so many legal issues in South Carolina. There was just no way to put together a conference because all of our energy as a group was going toward freedom fighting, really. And yeah. we really depended on that North Carolina conference for That's just great. the people in our group and for us. So it's had a, a broad and wide ministry to so many people. And we so appreciate the way you've kept that going. So, all right, so you started homeschooling. So why did you keep homeschooling? Why did you and Dana continue to homeschool? What what do you see as the major benefits for homeschooling? Well, you know, I don't think there, you know, it was it was kind of like marriage for us in the sense that I don't think we were ever going to go back. You know, it wasn't just, we, we weren't assessing it every year. It was just, we committed, we're going for it. Um, to me, the thing that has driven my desire and, and Dana's desire to homeschool has always been a discipleship drive. Um, I think academics are important. As you know, I went to school forever, so I do value that. However, um, you know, none of that really matters if your children don't know the Lord, if they don't have their hearts surrendered to Christ. And so what a wonderful setup, you know, where you can invest in time and relationships um, and of course, we see the academics as engulfed in the whole discipleship context, right? All all of our academics have a worldview implication inherently. And so where is that going to come from? And so we're teaching history and science and everything and literature from the perspective of a, a biblical worldview and, and helping them to know God's world and who he is. And so I think that's what keeps driving it is I, um, and I would say now, the relationships I have with my older kids and the fruit of being able to continue to disciple them as young adults is so rewarding. That's it's one of my favorite things. Um, spending time with my older kids uh, is such a fruit that now, of course, keeps me going because I still have a lot of homeschooling to do. So Yes, yes, you do. You do. Yeah. that well, That's really amazing. And and I would agree that, boy, the relationships are so key. Yeah, I, I can remember when I um, wrote my second book, Seven Tools for Cultivating Your Child's Potential. My daughter, Lizzie, wrote, I had each of the kids write a letter at the end. And she said, you know, so many of my friends say, how can you spend so much time with your brothers or your mother? And she said, you know, time is the greatest gift of all. And, and, and it is, we've learned to think that we all need our own time or our free time. And yet that time you invest in your children, it just, you'll never have, you'll never have the opportunity again. I, I love right. what my husband says about marriage. I, I repeat this all the time. He says, grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And, you know, it's, nice. it's you know, it's the same way with our children. You know, the grass is greener where we water it. And um, and now we have these grandchildren whom we love. And those relationships are so dear and so precious. So well, if I is. can add to that, just add another point to that. Um, at, at every phase, especially with the little ones, 
who are wanting attention and wanting to spend time with you and wanting to tell you the story of what just happened to their army men or the Lego thing they just built. And it's so easy to think, well, that's not very important or I don't want to listen to that. Um, and then now it's half the time I look at my phone, it's one of my college kids calling me, you know? And so I, I have tried to maintain, I haven't done it perfectly, but over time, especially uh, more recently as I've grown, I just, I always answer the phone. Yes. And I always, always listen to the story. Unless I'm in an interview like this <laughs> or something. If if one of my college kids calls or if one of my kids needs something, I'm going to answer the phone. And so they know it's a priority and that's the watering and that's the priority and investment of knowing that I will never, th- there'll be a lot of things I regret as you hear all the stories of, you know, what do you regret in life? But I will never regret taking the time with my kids. You know, cell phones are such a gift. I remember, and, and you know, I know that's debatable, but I remember when my oldest son, Ty, went to college. Well, you know, it was after homeschooling for 12 years and he leaves. I just felt like my heart and my right arm had been cut yeah. off. And this is in the days of um, hall, hall phones in the dorms. This is a Covenant College, so they didn't have phones in the rooms yet. And I can remember, Joe came in one night and said, what are you doing? I was sitting on the sofa. Um, I said, I'm sitting here kind of half praying, half, I don't know what, just say, call me Ty, call me Ty, call me, call me, call me Ty. And he said, well, do you think that's going to work? And I said, <laughs> I don't know. And about that point in time, the phone rang. <laughs> <And laughs> that's it, great. It and, worked. And, you know, yep. And it was funny because he was saying, mom, you know, I've got this class and I'm out of money. And, you know, I'm thinking, he called me. I said, you know, Ty, I got money. I mean, not a lot, but I can put money in your account and I can help you with this paper or whatever. It was really a picture to me of the Lord because he says, call on me. And, you know, and he wants us to call on him about the big things and the That's little right. things. And, and he has the resources to give us, you know, when we need a little extra money in our checking account or whatever. He's That's right. That's so, great. So I've learned, I've learned so much about how God loves us. For, especially from loving our adult children or as they go when you're not so involved in the day-to-day anymore. That's so, right. So so those are really powerful thoughts. That's we right. had our We had our one-year celebration yesterday for the podcast, Matthew, and my 11-year-old grandson surprised me a couple of weeks ago. He says, Grandmama, did you know that I listen to your podcast every week? <laughs> I said, no, honey. He said, yeah, I'm really learning a lot. Like today, I listened to that Heidi St. John lady, and it was deep, and I learned a lot. <laughs> That's great. You lo- I, I love thought, that. Oh, my goodness. It, life doesn't get better than this. <laughs> That's right. That's great. So, so the relationships just keep on going. So if you had some back-to-school advice, Matthew, for all the moms and dads out there who are really in the trenches, um, what would it be? Well, um, I guess one of the first ones is to not be afraid to change things up. Hopefully, hopefully by now you've already realized maybe what was not working last year or the year before, and you realized um, what was working. And so I think my, my encouragement, especially as there whatever seasons of school there are, 
is to always make assessments, you know, always think about, well, if that math, math curriculum didn't work, you know, and of course, part of the problem is, okay, so now I have eight math curriculums, right? Because I keep changing them. And, yes, and I think yes. part of that is valid because sometimes you do find something that works better for different kids. And then you can try all eight on all the kids. I don't know. But but then sometimes you realize it's just math. <laughs> you know, there's no secret bullet math curriculum. Yes. It's just that sometimes they they get it sometimes it's harder um and so i i think constant analysis and being willing to say you know what we're going to do something different and sometimes that's hard to do because you spent the money on something but constantly trying to figure out the season of life my kids are in the strengths and weaknesses that i learned last year the learning styles that they may have or even change over time and so there needs to be a a constant flexibility and, and willingness to change things up and not feel like that's some kind of failure or yes. something. Thank you for saying that because I will tell you, when I started homeschooling, it was really hard for me to try to analyze what was going on. Thank goodness I had a project manager husband who could look at things. But for me, if I needed to change something, I felt like it was because it was I, w- I was a failure as a homeschooling mom. So if the kids were unhappy or a neighbor was saying, oh, I, you know, I can't believe you're doing this. And, you know, just all the negative voices. It was really hard for me to stop and analyze without feeling like it was a personal indictment against the way I was doing right. things. So that is really sure. a great piece of advice because we need to do that with, we need to be able to back away from everything we do and try to look at it. A little objectively, sometimes homeschooling is so personal, you know, especially for the mom, it's hard to do that. But bring your husband in or bring a friend in because I, I just think that is such great advice, Matthew. We can't be afraid of we change. Can also, we can also add to that just to feel free to modify your curriculum. Don't feel like if you pick a certain thing, whether that's a subject or a, or a total package, um, just know, you know, parts of it may work, parts of it may not work. You may not like this book, add it in. You may want to do a different thing here. And again, some people feel stuck to, well, I bought the thing in the box. I have to do the whole thing, you know, and and it's never going to work for everybody all the time. And so just feel free. I'm going to switch this up. Well, to piggyback on something you said about learning your child's strengths and weaknesses, I read a book way back when it's out of print now it was called growing up learning by a professor a college professor and he was just talking about how you'll never see adults um, a room full of adults acting from their weaknesses they always act from their strength and his comment was on math he said so in schools what do we do we have a kid who doesn't like math so instead of giving him 10 problems we give him 100 problems it just doesn't make sense, you know? And so sometimes yeah. as homeschool moms and dads, we can bring this element of common sense into our curriculum and know there's right. a certain level of math every kid needs to know, but not every kid's going to be a mathematician. That's so, right. So focus on the strengths and shore up the weaknesses, and um, and it seems to all work out quite well. Well, and I'll, I'll add to that a few years ago, um, as you probably heard, um, I, I was exposed to uh, Kathy Cook's book, The Eight Great Smarts. 
And so she took a very similar approach of realizing that um, oh, most of the time when we say smart, we think academic smart or logic smart. But there are so many different kinds of being smart, whether that's Absolutely. Uh, physical, uh, you know, body smart or art or words or people or there's so or I mean, there's eight of them. Yes. yes. Yeah, nature smart. And I feel like, and there's even self smart. And I, I just, I think that really, again, widens the view for parents because we, because of the culture and the academic and public school culture, we get stuck into evaluating our kids from an academic standpoint more too much oh, you know and, yes and that's we, right and we right. feel like and so our kids feel like well i'm stupid that kind of thing and so again just just for the parents to be able to free up and I, i've had that conversation with some of my kids and just say i understand that this isn't your strength but over here this is your strength and that's fine right we'll we'll that's spend some extra time over here but but you're gonna have to realize that god has really gifted you and we're gonna give you all the space and time you need and that's the other benefit of homeschooling, right? Is that whatever extra time and energy you need on some subjects that are hard or some subjects that are you excel in, you're able to modify that. Boy, that that is so true. And I think that's so powerful. And that's what makes homeschooling, um, it, that's where the relationship really undergirds the power of homeschooling educationally. Because if you can understand your the way your children are put together like that and how God made them, boy, it makes for a powerful education. I, my mother was a public school teacher. And I remember when we started homeschooling, I mean, this is 1984, and who knew anything about homeschooling? But the one thing she told me was, Zan, I would give anything if I had a permanent record on each of the students I get into my classroom like you have on your own kids. Because you save so much time in knowing how to teach them. You just start where they are and you teach them where they are. And, yeah. um, you know, that is really powerful. So let me, um, all right, I, I want to change subjects here just a minute. So, Matthew, tell me what your PhD is in. Uh, biblical studies and New Testament focus. Okay. So when did you, what are your two master's degrees in? So I did a Master of Divinity, which was the main pastoral track, you know. Um, and then after that, um, I did a Master of Theology, which was kind of a little on-ramped ramp to get into the PhD program. And and that was focused on um, also on New Testament and focused on, you know, uh, hermeneutics and preaching were my favorite topics throughout. Okay, so at one point in life, you were a preacher, right? That's right. Well, and interestingly, I I still am. <laughs> not maybe not vocationally, but <laughs> right. Yes, yes. That's that's just a part of your gifting. But you that's were right. your 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 vocation as well as your avocation at one point was right. a pastor and preacher mm -hmm. and a college professor. I didn't know that either. Yeah, so, that's do you right. still teach at App State, or are you was that a thing of the past, or? Yeah, that was when we lived uh, in the Boone area. Uh, we lived there for quite a while and now um, for 15 years. But then we moved here to the Clemens, Winston, Salem area in 2020. So we've been here a few years. Uh, my teaching outlet right now is we have a residency program for master's students uh, connected to Southeastern Seminary at our church. 
And so I've been able to teach some uh, preaching in New Testament and interpretation classes there. So that's that's one of my teaching outlets right now. So, all right. So I, I wanted you to cover that ground for a reason. So now your vocation, as well as your avocation, is you're the exec, not just a board member of NCHE, um, you're also the executive director, which is a full-time position from what I understand. That's right. So, all right. So tell me what was so compelling to you about taking this job in the homeschooling world that you were willing to give up your preaching and teaching as your vocation? Well, um, I, I have to say that for the most part, I just have to say that God was leading me and I didn't know all the dynamics. <laughs> it was just the Lord said, turn right. And I turned right. And that was the opportunity that that the Lord had for me. I, I think, though, the, the reason that I was willing to switch that track, first of all, is because I hoped and assumed that I wouldn't have to stop teaching and preaching, which largely has been the case. So I always look for opportunities to continue to do that. Um, and, it, and it gives me the opportunity to continue to speak on some of my favorite topics, which has been parenting and um and homeschooling and marriage and and family issues so of course it's a great context for that and most of all um as we've already discussed you know my real drive and passion and this of course goes to the book that you mentioned loving god is for discipleship disciple discipling the kids and so i just thought this is a play this is a space in which i can help parents disciple their kids um, and homeschooling is just one of those contexts for that. You know, it, I, I really believe that if we can succeed in helping moms understand on those days where they feel like all they've done is wipe noses and referee fights, that homeschooling and parenting is kingdom building work, then it gives, you know, it gives dignity to the profession. I, I, I can remember um, Elizabeth Elliott was a real mentor of mine, and I had the, a real privilege of being able to spend a little bit of time with her when she was alive. And um, But I, I can remember as a young mother, and I was just beginning to homeschool, I'm sitting in the doctor, in the dentist's office. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday, and I have to fill out the form, and it says occupation. And so I put out, I put mother, I hate the word housewife because it just sounds so something. <laughs> and, um, you know, domestic engineer, I don't know. And and I thought, yeah. and, and then I thought, I, there's, I, I went up to the lady, I said, you know what, there is no way I can fit what I do as a homeschooling mother into this little block. I'm leaving it blank. Yeah. I mean, it was just like <laughs> this crisis right, exactly. moment. Because sometimes as a, a mom, you feel like you get no respect and, you know, in society. And, and, and I really believe I mean, I really believe that when you're a mom, when you're a dad, your greatest task is, like you said, to disciple your children, to, 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 raise, to raise them according to the way that God bent them, to raise them to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that is just as much kingdom building work as when you're a pastor or a, a, a minister, a missionary, whatever. That's and, right. And um, Martin Luther and, and the other right reformers, they both met. I think you're right that that is so important for moms who maybe get worn down with the tediousness of life and the all the 
the details and and sometimes it seems like this isn't this is not soul forming this isn't you know eternal but um it's in the context of real life that people learn how to really follow Jesus and so just like you said if moms can keep in their mind and in their heart the big why you know why am i doing this and and that it's a huge lesson when the kids are watching how are you doing that how are you doing whether it's household responsibilities or the education or relating to your husband or relating to your wife or how you're treating your kids and how you're talking to them i mean that's just as important as did we cover the facts because they're watching to see what does it look like to follow jesus in real life yes and that's right you want to show right. them what that looks like yes that's right and you know I, I so i read i was able to read through a part of your book online and it says why we do what we do matters to god and we need to remember that that's a really powerful statement that's right he and he's looking not only at our actions but at our hearts you know and he loves faith he loves worship he loves faithfulness and obedience he loves and children he, all of that's very personal yeah and what we're doing is the generations and passing on faith to our generations and raising up a godly heritage is central to his kingdom plan and strategy so we have to understand that what we're doing is is critical to that yes amen so one thing you and I both share, Matthew, is a love for state organizations in the homeschooling community. And I want to shift. I want to talk to you a little bit about what some legislation. I want to talk to you a little bit about freedom fighting and why state organizations are important. Joe and I started a state org in South Carolina, and it's still there. There are two in South Carolina, and we're both um, work well together. We're both very involved. Uh, legislatively and, and tr just trying to keep an eye on things. And I know it was last year or the year before last, some bill, I'm, I know bills are coming up all the time. There was some bill I called you about that someone had contacted me about in the North Carolina legislature. And I remember your response was, we're not worried about it. We're keeping an eye on it. We have great relationships with our legislators, basically. So, um, so talk to me for just a minute about what your role in the state org in terms of watching legislation, keeping freedom alive for homeschooling parents, those types of things. Yeah, the way we state our mission is we help parents homeschool with confidence and joy. And we do that in three ways. And the first one is to protect the right of North Carolina citizens to, to homeschool. And then the other two are protect and connect. But to focus on that, that's our first one. And, and, and we believe that our work legislatively um, to establish homeschool-friendly laws, parent-friendly laws, and to um, protect those, to guard those, is, is one of the most important things that we do. Nor, uh, just like with you guys in South Carolina, almost all the legislation we wrote, you know, or we, we right. had a hand yes. in establishing yes. over the years. And um, we have a very strong legislative committee. Our legislative director, Spencer Mason, of course, has been on our board for decades now. And so he really knows the scene. He knows what's going on in the history and has lots of great relationships. But we have a committee doing that. And so 
we also have partnered with a lot of like-minded organizations in North Carolina who are also watching uh, legislation that we're concerned about related to the family and education. So our job, of course, is to know everything that happens, every piece of legislation that's proposed that could potentially impact um, the home or, or education. We, we are reading those and watching those. We, we're in the middle of a long session now here in North Carolina. Um, and so we have had a very busy year with legislation that impacted um, home education. A lot of it didn't matter, but um, we, were, we were busy really trying to juggle all of that. We also proposed a piece of legislation that we uh, also hope will end up going through this year. Great. What is the piece of legislation that you proposed? Well, we ran into um, a problem where our homeschool students were not able to take the PSAT um, test in our public schools, which was right. how it's that been is a problem. In the, yes, yes. In the past, but oh, in the last few years, um, especially since COVID, um, they've not been allowed. Not everywhere, but most places, they've not been allowed to do it. And so we were just trying to figure out how to do that. And really, because the school systems are so, you know, independent otherwise. We knew that just introducing legislation uh, to require PSAT and AP testing in public schools. So that's right now. It, it's gonna. It's probably going to go through. It just got caught up in a, a bigger bill that's causing it to get slowed down. Um, but it seems like there's enough support. So hopefully, you know, by next year, our students will will be able to do that. Boy, that's great. All these little things are important advancement mm-hmm. in freedom. And people acknowledging the importance of homeschooling, I believe. So there's right. no there's no small bill or right. no no step of freedom too small to take. Um, you know, I've had a lot of people as Joe and I've traveled the country. I've had a lot of people say, "Zan, I don't know why you're still worried about homeschooling freedom. Look how many homeschoolers there are now. There are millions and millions. You know, really millions more right. since COVID. Yeah. And you know, I want to say, really that puts a bigger target on our back. People That's are right. more aware. We're taking more money from the public school system. I mean, if you want to look at it that way, that's how our enemies look at it. You know, you're taking that's our right. resources, and um, which is certainly not the goal of homeschooling, but it can be a consequence of it. And so what do you tell people about why they need to be involved in NCHE and why it's important to have a legislative watchdog like you are? Right. Well, you know, whether I won't I won't pick sides right now, but we all understand that one of the ways that um, different worldviews and political agendas try to change the culture is through education. And we know that that's happening through public school. And so it's been happening for for decades, right, for for the history of public school. And it's getting worse and worse in the sense of the agendas that are there are driving people out of public school. That's why homeschool is growing partly. Um, but but th- what I wanted to introduce is one other factor besides the money. The money is a big thing that you just mentioned, which is public schools losing money. And so we have in North Carolina where they're actually trying to get homeschool kids back because that's dollar signs. Right, but they, yes. But at, a, but at a cultural level, what's worse is that they're losing their grip, their control, and their ability to influence uh those students, which mean, so there's also a control factor in the sense of um, now parents who want to teach their kids from a different worldview, from a Christian perspective, for example, um, 
we are going to be legislate. You know, regulations are being uh, constantly brought up to try to tell us uh, what we can and can't teach. And so that's that's the biggest front that we continue to fight on. Is they want to add regulations um, to homeschools in such a way that uh, we have less freedom to determine what we are going to teach. And so that's a big issue. That is a huge issue. Um, that was one of the first legislative hearings we had in South Carolina or public hearings was that the State Department of Education wanted um, teaching parents to have a college degree from an accredited institution and only use state approved texts. And we decided then that those are two hills that we will die on. And That's as right. homeschool f- parents, we need to realize that the freedom to teach what we want to teach from a biblical perspective or how we want to teach it is really a freedom worth fighting for. It is not a negligible freedom. And another big issue, Zan, regarding legislation that we're experiencing in North Carolina, of course, is uh, any any government funds that are connected to educational programs. And so, you know, it's really interesting. We would have even a lot of Republicans and conservative people who love homeschool choice, who love homeschooling, and they think that they want to help us. And so a lot of even right. this, this right. session, there was a lot of legislation proposed to give us money. Yes. <laughs> and yes. we're like, thanks, but no thanks. We, we, we're glad that you like what we're doing, but we're not going to accept uh, funding you know, after taxes in that sense of we're not going to risk then being told later that there are expectations and regulations attached to that funding. And we don't want to become dependent on that part. That's right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And so we've been working hard to to fight those ideas. Most of them weren't going to go through anyway, Um, but they are pretty disturbing. You know, people are worried about them. Um, But I think the other thing that we want to do, maybe this is something that we need to initiate, and that is, you know, we would be open to, for example, a not, you know, um, a tax credit or something like that. In other words, if you want to let us keep our money, you know, without any strings attached, then, then we'll entertain that. And so I wonder if we in North Carolina need to really initiate and push that. We haven't been bringing it up because our general strategy is leave us alone, leave everything alone. Yes, that's right. If they really want to help and they don't understand this process, then we want to begin to push this idea so that everyone will get behind it. If they want to let us keep some money for education, then we'll keep it, but we're not going to get it back through the government. Yes, that's right. Well, these are really important issues. If you want to know more about these, you can go to homeschoolfreedom.now or uh, homeschoolfreedomnow.com or you can go to um, hslda.org. Do you know if I got that website right? For homeschool freedom, uh, I think it's homeschool. It's just homeschool, just homeschool freedom. freedom dot com. Yes, and um, and and so you can keep up on those ideas. Visit the website for your state organization. See what's going on in your state, because um, those everybody needs to be involved, even if it's just a little bit, in the fight to keep our homeschool freedom relevant and real. So, Matthew, um, before we go, I just want to ask you one more question, and we'll close. Thank you for all your time. Tell us how, with nine children and all the responsibilities you have in church and the community, you and Dana continue to keep your marriage fresh and vibrant. 
Well, I think um, the number one way is uh, date night. So probably, you know, I mean, we've been married for 26 years and I would say almost all of those, probably 20 of those years, we have a, a date every week. So I at first, right. at first, when our kids were little, that was difficult finding babysitters and all that. But as soon as they start getting old enough to stay at home, we would just say bye, you know, frozen pizza night, right? Yes. And so every every Monday night, it used to be Tuesday night, um, we'd go out. And so that's, it's it's pretty, it's a religious ritual. It's like nothing changes date night, um, very rarely. And then the other thing is, you know, we do take time away a couple of times a year where, you know, we'll just go to a cabin in the mountains for, for a few days. Um, and we try to do that more than once a year, you know, two or three times a year for various reasons. And that gives us a, us a chance to be alone and talk and without being interrupted, which otherwise never happens, uh, without somebody listening. <laughs> um, and for longer than the date, right? Yes. And when you're on a date, you end up, you still end up at Costco somehow, you know, it's <laughs> like, okay, we've got, to, we've got to get away. <laughs> So anyway, taking some time, you know, is is part of part of that. You know, I ask you that because when our last child left home, I looked at Joe and I said, you know, it's a good thing we still really like each other. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, and one day, you know, it, it will be you and your husband at home or you and your wife. And you want to make sure that you have nurtured and tended to your marriage and kept that That's relationship right. strong because it's a. It's a blessing, and it's a blessing we're losing just, in society. And I'll just add, like we said before about moms, the kids are watching to see what life looks like following Jesus, and they're they're also watching your marriage, and they want to know what is a what does a healthy marriage look like. They may not be asking that question, but they're they're seeing it and observing it. And so, it's a part of homeschooling your kids and discipling them, and that is you show them this is this is what it looks like. Oh boy, um, talking about kids watching you. Um, we had a situation when our oldest son was in college where he lost the vision in his right eye. We get dangerous migraines, and he was a new medication that caused him just to lose that vision. And so it was really a terrible six months. He was playing soccer. Of course, he you know couldn't play soccer anymore. We didn't know if maybe he had a terminal condition. There were just all types of things that they're enshrouding this whole experience. And Ty handled it with a lot of faith. I did not. It was a really dark time for me. So both of my kids, both of the boys, Ty and John, were at Covenant College. And and people there were so good. We had medical friends who said, if Ty's not depressed, leave him where he is. Let, you know, let him stay in college. He wanted to stay there. And he was doing well. So we did. But it was 350 miles away. And um, But people on the mountain, look up mountain, look out mountain, look up mountain, would let us stay in their houses sometimes. And so oh, Lindsay, yeah. We were still, I was still homeschooling Lizzie, and we would make the trip a couple of times a month up there to spend time with Ty. And so it was one of those nights, she was sleeping with her brothers because they were both gone. She missed them, you know, dearly. And so she came and got in the bed with me about two o'clock in the morning. And she said, um, Mom, the family's appointed me to talk to you about something. And then I thought, oh, this can't be good. Oh, boy. And I said, I said, so what is it, Lizzie? And she said, 
well, you've always taught us that God is good and God is sovereign. And we want to know when you're going to start living that way again. Yeah. And, you know, it was, I was so, I was mad at that. Of course, I didn't let her know I was mad. I'm screaming (laughs) at God. I'm mad at God. You know, this is my son. If I want to be depressed, I'm going to be depressed. But it was such a reminder Ugh. to me that our children do watch how we live. And so it was good wow. that I could talk to them about that and say, okay, pray for, you know, um, I need to do better. But but our faith, sometimes you think our faith doesn't matter to them or the way we handle things doesn't matter because, you know, you rarely get that feedback. But right. it, it that was such a clarion call to me really from the Holy wow. Spirit that, that it That's does hard. matter. You know, it does matter. And so it really just, it changed my life in a lot of ways. So so when you say our kids are watching, our kids really are watching whether they give you the feedback every day, like mom and dad, we really appreciate your marriage and we really yeah. appreciate being homeschooled. You know, you're not going to hear those words much, but but right. they, but our kids That's do great. watch so, What a powerful uh, story. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for all you've done for families, the homeschooling movement. Thank you for your own family. It's such a testimony. And I guess we'll be well, seeing you soon me. in September. That's um, right. Coming up uh, soon. Yeah. We, we go to a national leadership conference together, um, two that that's are back to back. So so that's always good for us, good fellowship. Well, thank you so much. And God continue. Oh, tell Sam. everybody where they can find you, Matthew. Well, of course, if you're in North Carolina, you can go to nchg.com to find out more about North Carolinians for Home Education. And then there's truthtofreedom.org where um, you can see more about what I'm doing. But you can um, the book Truth to Freedom, a practical handbook for discipleship uh, is on Amazon. You can find that there, which I kind of wrote for my kids, but I wrote for any parents or anybody who wants to know how to how to disciple their kids, not how to, but. What's the content? Right. Like, what do right. we talk about? That's and the primary thrust. What's the title of that book again? Uh, Loving God. Loving God. Okay. A, and then the subtitle is A Practical Handbook for Discipleship. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Matthew. And as always, you can find me at zantyler.com. You can listen to this podcast wherever you listen. And you can also find show notes and a host of other things at zantyler.com slash podcast. Uh, So thank you all for being with us today. And until next time, bye. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope this was encouraging and inspiring for you. If you would like more information, you can find me at zantyler.com. Until next time, see you later. 